Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Good. There's some life in the building this morning. That's good. I, it, it is something. When we come to church, when we come and gather with believers, there should be some joy in us, right? We should remember that our God is good all the time, that, that his, his blessings are new every day. So when we come together, we should be filled with joy. We should be happy to be here with each other. So I'll say this again. How are we doing today? Good. Good. Uh, we're, we're in our series, Via Della Rosa, and we started this last week. And what our theme for this is the path of pain. The path that Jesus went on from the moment we talked about last week when he entered the city. He entered the city and it's the final week of his life as we move towards Easter. And today, we're focusing on the teachings of Jesus. Uh, the, the words that he spoke during this time. After he entered the city, the teachings that, that he taught to the religious leaders, the people who were running the church at the time, and, and what he taught to his disciples and all of this. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes we can read the word of God. And if you have your Bible with you, most of you will notice that there's these red letters in there. And these red letters are when Jesus is speaking. And oftentimes we can read it, and I don't think we can understand the magnitude of it. That, that he's speaking to us thousands of years later. Still speaking. Word's still true. I asked myself this week, how much better would I listen to these words if I was in his presence at that day, at that day? How much more intensely would I listen to what he was saying at these moments, knowing what I know now? As, as he's teaching and I'm, I would be sitting there listening to him, I, I feel like I'd be hanging on every word. Because every word that he was saying would, had the potential to change my life. Why do we approach it differently today? How come we can read these words and just kind of go about our day? What, what if we approach today, as we dive into the teachings of Jesus, what if we approach today as if we were sitting in the circle, in his presence, hearing him speak? The challenge for you today is how much different would you listen to these words? How would, how would you let it impact your life? What response would you have? So as we dive into this, I want you to just put yourself there. Put yourself around a table with him or, or sitting in a field with him and he's teaching you and showing you this. How would you listen? So we're gonna jump into Matthew 21. So Jesus, at this moment, his authority is challenged. People are asking the question, what gives you the right to say these things? How, how, what gives you the right to do these things? And Matthew 21, verse 28 says this. But what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older son, go out and do work in the vineyard today. The son answered, no, I won't go. Any parents like, I get that. No, I won't go. But later, he changed his mind and went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Which of the two obeyed the father? Which of the two obeyed the father? One said, I won't go and then had a change and decided to go to the vineyard. One said, I will go, but didn't go. Which one obeyed? They said the first. Then Jesus explained his meaning of the story. Think about the confusion that the, the religious leaders are thinking here, like why is he talking about this? What does this have to do with anything? Then Jesus explained his meaning. I tell you the truth. 
corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. For John the Baptist came and showed you the right way to live, but you didn't believe him while tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even when you saw this happening, you refused to believe him and repent of your sins. He's talking to the religious leaders here. And I, I, I just, it's not written here, but there has to be this defensiveness from them. How dare you compare me to a tax collector and a prostitute? Don't you know I'm a man of God? I'm a religious leader? Don't you know this about me? And when Jesus is talking about prostitutes and tax collectors, he's not talking just specifically about those two groups of people. He's generalizing, and he's saying these two groups of people because in that time, these were the two lowliest professions you could have. One being a tax collector, and if there's any tax collectors in the house, I'm sorry, it's in here. Um, they, one being a tax collector because that person's job was to take from people and give it to this oppressive government. This, this government that didn't think like them, that worshiped many gods, and you, you worshiped the one true God, and he was taking money from you and giving it to them. And then prostitutes. These two lowly positions, Jesus is comparing this, generalizing these two. And then he talks about John the Baptist coming and sharing this message. So what he's saying here is that you religious leaders, you people of the church, heard the message and rejected it. Like the second son. You said yes at first. But then when John came, you changed your mind and didn't follow. But these tax collectors and prostitutes, they didn't say yes at first. They were living a different way. But then they heard the message and their life was changed. And they went to the field. What it's really saying here is that we cannot survive on just longevity of religion. We, we, we cannot live a life that is based just on religion and how long we've been in it. Because that's what these religious leaders are doing here. That's what he's calling out in them. Yes, you might work for the church, but you missed me. You missed my message. When even these people who were lower than you in your eyes heard the message and changed their life. It, it's re, this religious, he's addressing this religious mentality Religion in itself isn't bad. I want to make sure that's clear because sometimes it sounds like I'm bashing religion. I'm not. Religion in itself isn't bad. But religion without relationship is deadly. Religion without relationship with Jesus is deadly for you. Because here's what happens in your life. If you have religion by itself, it will lead to just a couple of things I wrote down here. These three things. Religion by itself can lead to tradition without transformation. It can lead to, 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 to tradition, sorry, a little stutter there, without transformation. Meaning this, you can become really good at practicing traditions of the faith, but miss relationship with Jesus. Become really good at doing all the right stuff, but the transformation of your heart, this relationship with Jesus hasn't taken place. We can, we can fall into that. The second is this. Religion by itself can often lead to history without a future. We can get so caught up in what was. We can get so caught up in the great things we did in his name years ago. If we are not connected in relationship with him, we will become focused on what we did, not where we're going. 
what, what was, maybe even this one, we'll get, used to, we'll get used to what the church used to be like and forget about where it's going. Because there's not that relational side where Jesus is speaking to us and guiding us down that path. The third thing that religion by itself can lead to is it can lead to passivity without purpose. See, if you are just living this religious lifestyle without the relationship, you will start to develop a passive mindset where the kingdom of God will be, he'll be calling people to step in and maybe you know, jump into this cause and help this group of people and your mindset will be, I sure hope someone does that. I sure hope that the church does something about that. But a relationship with Jesus, when, it, when a need is presented, you will have a desire to not be passive, but to have a purpose for changing it. That's the difference here, is you won't just stand in the back and hope that other people do it. You'll be the one at the forefront because you're in relationship with him, and he's guiding you and directing you. Now, just to be clear, he is saying this to the religious leaders at one of the most religious seasons of the time. He's, he's saying this over the, the celebration of Passover. They're, they're getting ready. They're, everyone's preparing for this, to practice this great religious practice. And Jesus is saying this because what he wants us to get is if you don't get the relationship right, everything else you do is going to fall short. We have to get the relationship right when it comes to Jesus. So I asked myself, how, how do I have a healthy relationship? So what I did this week is I went to the source that most of us follow and believe without a doubt. I, I, I went to the source that we all have at our fingertips, that, that we go to on a daily basis. I'm talking about the Bible, right? No, I'm talking about Google. I went to Google and I typed in tips for a healthy relationship. And I said, let's see what Google says. And ironically, I found the Bible in Google. Because Google answered in a way that when we look at it this way, we can see scripture, we can see Jesus in it. So here's the nine tips for a healthy relationship. You ready? Number one, keep expectations realistic. We talked about this last week. That when we have unrealistic expectations of how Jesus should move in our life, it can harden our heart towards him. And the second thing it says is talk to each other. Well, sounds a lot like prayer. The more I talk to him, the more I allow him to talk to me, the better our relationship will be. The third one, be flexible. Be flexible. Submit to his will, not my will. Let your will be done, not mine. The next one is this. Take care of yourself. You know, all throughout scripture, we see that mental health and physical health and spiritual health is key to our relationship with Jesus. Be dependable. You might even say that says practice what you preach. When it comes to relationship with Jesus, don't be someone who's just saying words. Practice it. If you're, if you're telling others that they should be close to Jesus and be in his presence, are you doing it? Be affirming. Where the actual definition of affirming is, means to publicly state someone's greatness or impact. Well, that sounds a lot like worship to me. As we gather, we worship and we publicly declare the greatness of Jesus. And the last one is this. Keep your life balanced. Keep your life balanced. And if you know anything about Jesus, he calls us to both live in truth and grace. On a balancing scale, where we are 
we focus on truth, but we also focus on grace. One is not greater than the other. So, I mean, it's crazy. I went to Google, I typed in nine tips, I found Jesus in there. I found a relationship of how to build my relationship with Jesus. I'm gonna call it the book of Google. So as Jesus goes on here, as he goes about his time here, he, he, he keeps teaching and sharing these parables, and we find him talking about something really important. He, he brings up something that we now call the most important commandment. He brings up the most important commandment, and this is what it says. He's teaching the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders have gathered, and they're proposing this question to Jesus. They're proposing this question. Jesus, what? is the greatest commandment. It sounds, like, it sounds like not a big deal that they would ask that, but what they are trying to do is they're trying to trip him up. They're trying to take his credibility away. Because if he answers this wrong and he says the wrong commandment or answers in a different way, his credibility will be taken from him. But here's how Jesus responds. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor, neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. See, when he says love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, he, he's talking about the, the command of no idols above God that you are called to be fully submitted and worship God. In Exodus 20, verse three, it says that there should be no idols above him. That's what he's talking about. And what he's really saying is that, that the most important part, the most important thing is that God has your heart completely. That he has 100% of your heart. That there's nothing above him in your heart. There's nothing that takes his place in your life but that you are fully submitted to him, that God is number one in your life. If we miss this, if we miss this first commandment of loving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, everything else is different. This is the most important. So let's be honest. Let's have an honest assessment, okay? Don't get mad at me. We have to ask ourselves this question. Do we love, do we love Jesus more than money? Do, do we love Jesus more than our fun? Do we love Jesus, I'm gonna speak to some of my, my guy friends in here, do we love Jesus more than our sporting events? I mean, we have to ask ourselves this question, because here's the truth, and I'm guilty of this as well. I can go and watch three and a half hours of a sporting event and be fully engaged Totally, I mean, I'm going wild, I'm cheering, I'm all in. But, you know, spending 10 minutes in the morning praying seems difficult. We have to ask ourselves, what is the most important thing in our life? Why can we go to a sporting event? Why can we tailgate and party all day and devote a whole day to that? But when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, if we're completely honest for most of us, it's between the hours of 11 and 12. We have, to, we have to check ourselves, because this is the most important thing, that there's no idols in our life above God. So if we're going to do this, we have to do what I call an idol inventory. We, we have to ask ourselves some hard questions 
to make sure that we're getting in the place where God is number one in our life. The first one of the idle inventory is this question. What gets more effort? When you evaluate your life, what in your life gets your best? What in your life is the thing that you wake up thinking about? When you wake up in the morning, is your first thought, how am I going to get through this meeting today? How, how am I going to do, do this task today to get this job done? Or is your first thought, God, I worship you? So Pastor Dan says this all the time. He wakes up every morning and he throws his face into the dirt, which I'm assuming he doesn't do that unless there's dirt in his house. But he throws his face down and he worships God. I mean, that, that's what it's saying here. What gets more effort in your life? What gets, what gets your investment? Is it God or is it something else? Second thing that we need to check is what gets more time? What gets more time in our life? Where are we spending more time doing things and acting and worship, are we worshiping God the same amount? And I know there's some people in here and like, okay, Shane, but come on. I have to go to work. I have to put in my 40 hours. I have to put in those, that time. Uh, and I'm not asking everybody to go home and quit. Quit your jobs and just lock yourself in a room. What I'm asking you to do is to give those 40 hours to God. That even in your work, you are worshiping him through it. That whatever you're doing, you're doing it for the glory of him. If, if it's your trade, if, if, if you're a mechanic, you are working with your hands to bring glory to the name of God. That's what I'm talking about. It's not that just the amount of time, but is your time worshiping him? Is your free time and your fun time glorifying him? Or is your fun time destroying you? We have to ask ourselves, what gets more time in our life? And the third one is this. What speaks louder in our life? What speaks louder in our life? What, what voice are we listening to? Are, are, we, are we creating an atmosphere where we are going to God with our questions? We are going to him with our needs and our desires and waiting for him to speak and guiding our life off of that? Or are we listening to other voices? Is there a different voice driving your life than God? You gotta ask yourself that. And it's not always a bad voice. You know, it's, it's not always a bad voice. Sometimes those voices are very important. But if that voice, let's say hypothetically, of your spouse, or, or your parent, whatever that is, if that voice has become louder than the voice of God in your life, it has become an idol. We, 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 we should always be submitting and following the voice of God. Now, sometimes he will speak through people, but we have to be in his presence and, and in worshiping him and listening to him, allowing him to speak. What voices are we listening to? And with this list here, it might be time for us to make some changes in our life, some new habits, some, some, maybe a new daily habit. For some of you, maybe you just need to start this. Every day, start your day by worshiping Jesus. You don't have to have a guitar. You don't have to sing. I mean, just singing his praises. What if every day you woke up and the first thing that ran through your, your head before, before you left your bed, before you started your day was just, Jesus, you are 
amazing. You are powerful. You are magnificent. I give you my day. Imagine how different your life would be. Sometimes we just need to make some new habits. And then it goes on to say this, that the first commandment is that have no idol above God. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what's very clear here is that we can't be good at loving our neighbor if we don't get the first one right. If we are not fully submitted and in loving relationship with Jesus, that love of neighbor won't happen. It won't happen. And we are called to love people. I don't know if you've heard that. But as a Christian, as a Christ follower, you are called to love people. This isn't optional. This isn't optional. This isn't something you say, I'm just not a very loving person. Tough. It's not optional. It's the second, the greatest. Love people. And let me just take a little left turn here. I know that we live in a chaotic world right now. I know that it's scary for some of us and I have conversations with many people where they ask this question, Shane, is it the end times? Shane, is, it, is this it? Because what's happening is there's, there's wars and there's chaos and there's division and there, there's the, the market is crashing and all of this and people are starting to build up with fear saying, is this it? Is this it? When I read this piece of scripture, I think we're missing the point of the book of Revelation. When we read the book of Revelation that talks about the return of Jesus, that is going to happen. He is coming back. I don't know when. He is coming back, but when we read the book of Revelation, it shouldn't bring us to a spot of fear. It should bring us to a spot of urgency. That, that when we read this book, if we read the book of Revelation and it leads us to building a bunker and living in fear, instead of building a bigger table to gather people around and share the gospel with, we're missing it. Like, in, in this time, thanks. It's, it's so true. I have conversations. Is this it? I'm, I'm scared. I'm nervous. Just go share the gospel with people. How differently would you live your life if you left this place and knew for a fact tomorrow was the day? How many family members would you be calling? How many people would you be inviting over to your house? How different would you go to Walmart? You would live differently if you knew. So wherever you stand on that, let's, I'm just going to say this. Let's stop trying to predict when it's happening. Let's just love people really well with every moment we got. How do we love people well? How do we do it? Well, I, I wrote down three things. These three things. If you're a note taker, write these down. We're calling it speak, act, and lead. Speak, act, and lead. The first one is we need to be practicers of speaking hope, not fear. We need to speak hope, not fear. In a world that is full of fear, we have the hope of Jesus Christ. We have the answer. We've solved the math problem. The equals means eternity in heaven with Jesus. So why do we fear anything today? Why do we let fear win in our life? When people look at God's people, they should see hope and hope only. Because we know the answer. The answer is Jesus. And it's offered to everyone equally. We need to speak hope, not fear. The second one, we need to act with kindness, 
not anger. Act with kindness, not anger. Our response to people should be of kindness and grace and mercy, not anger. Because I do see this happening quite a bit. As the church, I'm gonna say it. As the church, we have gotten good at being mad at people who think differently than us. Like, we've gotten really good at being angry with them. Why don't we leave the anger side and the judgment side up to the one who's at the, at the throne room with God? Let him hold that, and let's take our role of just being kind and gracious and loving to people with every day. Like, that's how the kingdom of God is going to move forward. That's how people are gonna step into the kingdom. I don't know anybody who was saved by being yelled at. I don't know anybody who found the grace of Jesus by someone shaming them. No, we, we need to practice that grace and kindness. The third one is this, lead. We need to lead to Jesus, not the world. The, the, the answer to all of this, the answer to everything that's going on in our world is not of this world. The answer is Jesus and Jesus alone. Like I said, we have the answer. We should be leading people to him. We should be leading people to him. It's not, there's no self-help book that's gonna get you to heaven. I'm sorry. There's no, there's no just one lifestyle change that's gonna help your eternity. The only thing we can lead people to that is eternal is Jesus Christ. And we should be leading people there with every moment we have. You guys still with me? Jesus goes on in Matthew 26, verse six. He goes to a place called Bethany and he's meeting with his disciples there and he's in the house of Simon who has previously had leprosy and they're eating and they're dining. And then a woman comes in carrying an alabaster jar and there's this perfume oil in it and she walks in and she pours it over Jesus. Pours it over Jesus as an act of worship. And here's the disciples' response to this act. What a waste, they said. It could have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, replied, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. She has poured this perfume on me to prepare my body for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Think of, the disciples are sitting there. She walks in and pours the perfume. Their response is, what a waste. We could have sold this and helped people who need it. Man, it's, it's clear to me when I read this that our worship of Jesus, our honoring of him, should always come first. It doesn't matter how many good deeds we do, it doesn't matter how many people we help, if we are not bringing the right amount of worship and honor to the savior of the world. What they saw as a waste, what they saw as a broken bottle, because it says that when she came in, the bottle was broken and completely poured out. They saw a broken bottle, a waste of oil that could have been made for money, an empty thing. What Jesus saw was beautiful, worshipful, 
in full. See, because sometimes we need to realize that how we see the world, how, how humanity sees the world, doesn't always line up with how Jesus sees things. What he's saying here is that, yes, this could have been given to people. There could have been money made off of this. There could have been great things that could have happened through this bottle. You could have sold it. You could have invested it and made money and helped people. But what she did by worshiping me is better than that. We, we have to ask ourselves, is our worship of Jesus our first response? Or sometimes do we get so caught up in doing the religious things, helping people, doing this, doing that, and we forget what is most, most important. The poor will always be among you, but you will not always have me. They didn't understand what was happening yet. We need to be at a place where our worship with, for Jesus is the number one priority in our life. Doesn't matter how much good we do, how much outside we, help we do, if we are missing this, if we are not getting on our knees and surrendering to God every day and proclaiming his greatness and magnitude, we are missing the mark. We're missing it. Think about it this way, my kid, my kid Harper, she's a great kid. Um, some days I'll go pick her up from school and the teacher will come out to me and will say, she was fantastic today. She helped clean up. She, she helped pick up all the toys. She, she was, spoke kindly to people. And my first response is, what? Where is this kid at home? Why, why, why is this not happening to me? How often is our relationship with Jesus like that? Jesus, I did this for you. I, Jesus, I was a part of this organization for you. Jesus, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. But we aren't doing it with him. We're not doing it to him. There's a, we're doing it for him and around him, but we are missing this. Jesus, I am here. You are what's most important. I'm completely surrendered to you. And out of that overflow of relationship with you, out of that, God, these deeds happened, not reversed. I've been thinking a lot about legacy. You know, what legacy do I want to leave? How, what, what, what do I want people to remember me for? I don't want people to remember that I was an okay communicator. I don't want people to remember that I was funny or loud. I don't want people to remember that Shane did a lot of good, that Shane helped a lot of people. What I want people to remember me for, when they speak of Shane, Later on in life, they will say he was fully and devoted to Jesus. His life was sold out for Jesus. Everything else didn't matter if Jesus wasn't in it. He loved Jesus with all his heart. And because of that, all those things happened. 
I want to leave a legacy of devotion. That I, I, I want to get to that place where I'm just so in love and in relationship with Jesus that he comes first in my life day after day after day. I want to worship him with everything I got. You guys with me on that? Imagine how different the world would be if just this room got that. Forget everything, if just this room got that message. If we fully surrendered our, our hearts to Jesus and he really became first in our life, imagine how different our city could be, our world could be. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love you and we praise you, God. Father, as, as we go through today, let us fall on our knees before you, God, just pro proclaiming your greatness. We worship you, Father. We give you all the glory. Give us a spirit of devotion, God, that we desire to be with you. We desire to be in relationship with you. And we desire to worship you. We love you and praise you in your holy name. Amen.